Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 193 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. We are with you as always. There are, there are three of us on the show, as I believe there are almost every time we do it. But we'll introduce ourselves anyway before we. Unless talk we're about traveling, Duke. sometimes when we're traveling, there are only two traveling. of us. Sometimes, yeah. We, uh, either way, we we do have to get to Duke's thumping of Virginia Tech inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. Before we do that, I am your host for this show. I am Sam Klein. Normally in Durham, North Carolina, I am in Hanover, New Hampshire this weekend. Uh, if you went to business you know school, the primary was last, last week. Year, you are, huh? <laughs> you know the primary was last week. You're a little late. The, yes, I'm aware. <laughs> I, you know they still have signs up, but I was going to say if you if you went to business school, you may be familiar with the annual phenomenon known as the Tuck Winter Carnival, which is where I was this weekend. If uh, if if you detect that there's anything missing in my voice, that is the reason, and I will say no more. I'm sure you can find more details on the internet. But I am joined by Jason Evans, who's already appeared uh, in, via interruption, in interrupting. <laughs> In interrupting my introduction here, Jason's at home in Atlanta. Jason, good morning. How are you? I am doing quite well. I, I had Cheerios with fresh strawberries, so I'm having a good morning. I'm just drinking tea. Donald Wine is also here. He is at home in Washington. I I am yes, and and since we will not be recording on Tuesday, an early happy Mardi Gras to everyone out there. One of my favorite Ooh, holidays yes. of the year. Indeed. We will have so so this week is going to be a particularly fun week for the show. We've got this episode today. We're going to do another one midweek to recap the Wake Forest game and also to react a little bit to whatever happens on Monday between Florida State and Louisville. But in the interim, we have a very fun interview coming tomorrow, hopefully dropping tomorrow or or the next day um, with a Duke person that I believe you'll all be familiar with. So we recorded this episode a couple of days ago, but we'll drop it early this week. You'll get a kick out of that. So so be on the lookout. I won't say any more about it because I promise you'll like it. All right. One can of the we, best interviews we we've done. One, yeah, one of the best yes. interviews we've done. Straight up. Yes. So. I, I, Donald, he's I think a, you're right. He's a famous dookie. He's a he's famous, famous dookie. We'll leave it at that. Okay. So let's get to the headline news for this show, which is that. Duke was licking its wounds after losing by too many to NC State last week in Raleigh. And the poor Virginia Tech Hokies showed up while Duke was rearing back up to avenge themselves of, of that poor performance. Duke beat Virginia Tech 88-64 to at Cameron. The score was 51-25 to at halftime. Duke was up by more than double. The game was probably over even before that. I got a chance to watch the first half. I didn't get to see the second half, although... It doesn't look like um, there was much intrigue given given the score and the momentum at the end of the first half, although Duke did lose the second half to Virginia Tech. That being said, Jason Evans, give me some give me some big takeaways from this game. There was shooting. There was defense. There was everything that we've ever asked for uh, for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and let's let's put aside this. Oh, Duke got outscored in the second half thing just just for a moment. Because once you get up by 20, 25 points, even almost 30, I, I think Duke, I think Duke may have maxed out right around 30 point, a 30 point lead at some point. Look, you, you, you ease off the gas a little bit and there's nothing wrong with that. You're, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to try and beat everyone by 50. Um, it's, it's not, 
it's not good manners. <laughs> and and I don't know that it's all that productive either. Uh, so Jason, Jason, hey, this yeah. this phenomenon is called cruise control. You may have it on your vehicle when you don't want to exceed the speed limit, but you just want to sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. That's what we did in the second half last night. Yeah, and and by the way, in the second half, the one thing I was watching for, and this is going to seem sort of ridiculous, but the lead was mostly like in the 25 kind of point range. And every so often it would get down to 20. And I was like, I want Duke to, to make sure they win this game by 22 points, which seems absurd. And we won by 24, but we had lost to NC state by 22. And in my mind, I just sort of had this thing where I was like, you know what? I want us to, to zero out that win, that loss, you know? So we lost by 22. Let's make sure we win by at least 20. And you guys may recall when, when we were doing the recap of the NC state debacle, I said, I really want us to turn around and spank Virginia Tech to show that this was just a one-game blip and not something that actually mattered. I think that Coach K actually said I think that Coach K actually said the same thing to his players, perhaps more harshly than you just did on the show, because that's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah. And to me, the story of the game, of course, is Duke hits their threes. I mean, Trey hits two at the start of the game, then Cash just hits two more. Basically, it's game over at that point. Uh, the reality that we've seen throughout the whole season is when when Duke's hitting more than, you know, we were uh, at like 45% of our threes in this game. When Duke's hitting more than 40% of their three-pointers, they're probably darn close to unbeatable because they are so good usually on defense that that it you can't keep – if they're going to do that on offense, you can't keep up with them. Um, Jason, a, let me A couple ask guys you, I wanted to – yeah. Let, let me ask you about the about the three pointer. So I, I like I said I went back and watched the first half so I could see kind of the flow of the offense and how Trey Jones got those couple early threes as you said, and Cassius Stanley got a couple catch and shoot, which hasn't really been his game this year. Do you think right. that that is? Do you think that's a change that is going to sustain itself, or is this more of an aberration for Duke, and we can expect uh, more of the like less passing? Um, sort of individual creation offense that we've seen so far this year? I, I don't think this Duke team is ever going to become last year's Duke team that was exclusively created off the dribble and uh, and a team that didn't like to shoot three-pointers. Last year, we just we didn't want to take threes because we weren't very good at them. We're, we're a far better outside shooting team this year than we were last year. That said, I, I, I don't think this team is relying on three-pointers to win games. We're not. We hit 11 against Virginia Tech. We don't need to hit 11 three pointers to to beat most teams. Um, I, I actually thought, to me, that the thing that I'm seeing more and more on offense that that I think is a positive development for Duke is Vernon Carey's passing. Uh, he was he was double teamed every single time he got the ball against Virginia Tech, and he did a great job of seeing where the double team was coming from. Um, either spinning away from it or passing away from it. He he passed away from it a tremendous amount of the time. And and one of the things I know, by the way, he had zero assists, which is a crime because I thought Vernon Carey's passing was great. And in the post game, Coach K talked about how good Vernon Carey's passing was. It was that his passes didn't immediately lead to someone taking a shot. They resulted in Duke finding another pass or penetrating the defense. And it resulted in Virginia Tech scrambling a bit on defense, which eventually would lead to Duke getting a, a, a good shot. And then the other thing I saw Vernon doing a lot of, he would pass out of the double team and then he would repost. Let me tell you something. That is, that's an advanced thing for, for big men to do in college basketball. 
that, you know, once you get rid of the ball, you sort of relax, not Vernon. He would get rid of the ball. He would repost immediately, get his defender in a place where it was bad for that defender. And Duke would be able to dump the ball back into him quickly and he could get easy buckets. Look, Vernon Carey only had eight shots in the box score because Virginia Tech knew they had to foul him a lot. He took nine free throws. And at one point on the broadcast, they mentioned that he has the most free throw attempts of any freshman in all of college basketball this year. This guy gets to the line a lot because teams know they can't stop him, so they have to try and foul him. I thought Vernon Carey, for a guy who only had eight shots from the field, had a really great game. And the big development for me in this game, to some extent, was Vernon Carey's improved passing and the fact that Vernon Carey has gotten better on defense as well. Virginia Tech, last game, member against Virginia Tech, he didn't play that much because he couldn't guard Virginia Tech plays five out. They play five guys in the perimeter, and he couldn't guard anybody. And so I thought the fact that he was able to guard guys in this game showed you how much he's grown as a player. That's just huge for Duke. That is I'm, – I'm glad you you highlighted Kerry because the other thing that's interesting about Virginia Tech is you noted because they're small, they don't have somebody who matches up directly with him. So most of the night he was being double teamed, and it was awesome to see that court awareness like you said, it didn't show up in the assists, but I am sure it is showing up in the tape that scouts are seeing. And that's a huge development for Kerry to just say, look, if you put two bodies on him, he still knows either how to score or how to get rid of the ball and get himself in good position. Donald, I'll, I'll come to you next. I want to look at the defensive side of the ball, and I want to know how Duke was able to limit Virginia Tech. We, we noted that they're not the best offensive team, but they still can shoot it a little bit. And, and, and their guards are kind of fast. So what was Duke doing to uh, get, get the ball out of Virginia Tech's hands and create transition points? They were smothering him. That's step one. I mean, it, you, you talked about Vernon Carey. You talked about you know, guys like Jordan Goldwire and, and Trey Jones, Cassius Stanley. Those guys were active on the, on the wings. And when Vernon Carey inside was you know, basically smothering anything that came inside – him and Matthew Hurt really did well uh, together, I thought, on the court at times, but also separately to get the ball and then make sure that we were getting it to our wings to go out uh, on the transition. We did that a lot better than we did against NC State, and really that momentum fed our offense. We we talked about this on, on future or on past episodes where our defense likes to fuel our offense in the form of transition points, and we were able to do that in buckets, especially in the first half last night. So I really liked that we were able to get back on track in that area because if we have a good defense, that's going to uh, defense rebounding effort. Those things are going to be necessary when it comes to the postseason. So we, we really need that now we're, we're, we're you know, a few, do- few days away from March happening and the college basketball landscape has changed a bit. So I, I really want that to continue and progress in, in Jason, you mentioned uh, Vernon Carey, Vernon Carey was really good, and I think that sort of passing that he was doing on offense is really good for the tournament because people are going to hound him. He's going to be the guy that they zero in when the calendar hits March. And if he's able to get out of those situations by doing crisp passing, and of course if our guys are going to make shots, that's going to make us a much more well-rounded team. And that means you know this whole thing about us saying every day you don't know who's going to beat you that's going to come true in March. And that is really going to be a pain for uh, everyone else who faces us down the road. Uh, but Jason, you know, we were talking about, I was talking about Matthew Hurt. We were talking about the the depth of our team. 
And he stepped up in a big way last night, didn't he? Yeah. So Matthew Hurd had a really strong game. This was the first double-double of his career. But I want to talk about his defense because um, I was really impressed with his D in this game. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, and Donald was talking, you know, they play five out. And uh, again, you know, that was a formula last time for Vernon Carey not to play a lot. That should have been a formula for Matthew Hurt not to play a lot. But he did a great job of keeping smaller driving guys in front of him. He challenged shots when his man drove to the bucket. He had two block shots. It felt like he had more than that. He was able to contest a lot more than that. He and Wendell Moore both get, um, guarded, defended Landers Nolly for the most part. Landers Nolly is the best player on Virginia Tech. This is, we've talked all season. Donald, you love to talk about it. The head of the snake. Landers Nolly is the guy that they need. Virginia Tech must have Landers Nolly playing well for them to win. Landers Nolly scored his first points of the game midway through the second half. I mean, the fact that Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore absolutely eliminated Landers Nolly from this game is, as much as anything, the reason that Duke blew Virginia Tech out of the water. Um, I, I, and, I know. Jason, Jason, Coach K loves a, a performance where, you know, a, a Duke player doesn't score that much. Like Wendell Moore only has three points in this game, but his defensive effort, as, as you note, was a huge part of the difference between Duke having to play competitively for 35 minutes and Duke being able to just put their foot right on Virginia Tech's throat early in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've noticed Wendell Moore playing more and more small ball four. I think Coach K really likes that role for him. Um, he's long enough and physical enough that he can he can challenge, you know, other other fours, although nowadays most most power forwards are really wings. <laughs> and Wendell Moore, of course, matches up great with those guys. Um, with with Wendell Moore playing more and more small ball four and Matthew Hurt playing well, Jack White's basically fallen completely out of the rotation. Jack White didn't play till the final like three or four minutes of the game last night. Um, Joey Baker's also fallen out of the, sorry, I say rotation, the depth. I apologize, Coach K. I'm not going to use that word rotation. It's depth. I understand that. I, I, I think it's sort of interesting. You know, here we are late in the season and all season long, we've been talking about Duke plays 10, Duke plays 10. It's kind of getting to the point where it looks like Duke plays eight. Um, and, and I think one of the reasons Joey Baker has been a little bit victimized is that Alex O'Connell looks like he's playing a lot better, a lot better defense lately. And he had a just absurd slam dunk in the first half, a really athletic move on the baseline that, uh, that, you know, made you make an ugly face. It was so awesome. If we um, were, if, if we were playing on the road, that would be called the gym silencer. That's what that dunk yes, was. Yes, exactly. Trey Jones in the post game said that Alex O'Connell dunks all the time in practice. Like he dunks more than anyone else in practice. And Trey said that AOC does like, you know, between the leg dunks and 360s and stuff, and that Trey's been waiting for him to unleash something like that in the game. Alex O'Connell got a steal in the second half where he had the wide open court, and I thought he might. I was like, this might because we're up by 20 and like, but he was Coach about K to do the he was about to do the Elliott Williams uh, uncalled for like demonstrative jam and then get pulled out of the game late. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a junior. He knows Coach K would not have liked that. He knows he's not supposed to show up the opposition. He just did a fairly simple one-handed tomahawk slam. But I thought is, we might be about, the rule we is might be about to see something great. Yeah. When you're Zion Williamson, you could do it. And otherwise, you really should ask for permission. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, hey, last really, really quick thing about this one. In the post game, Coach K talked about perhaps – the greatest scrub in Duke history, Justin Robinson, 
Um, J-Rob, of course, comes in this game, blocks a shot, hits a three at the other end. I mean, dude was, as always, in his two minutes of scrub time, he was amazing. But Coach K in the postgame talked about what an influence Justin Robinson has been on Vernon Carey, that J-Rob is constantly pulling Vernon aside at practices, talking to Vernon about, you know, what he needs to do to get better. And and Kay said one of the reasons Vernon keeps on improving so much is because of Justin's influence, which, I mean, you know, Coach K like volunteered that. That's a that's a very telling statement from from the head coach. And he also said that Justin Robinson runs the scout team in practice and he's constantly, you know, sort of looking at the opponent and putting it, you know, trying to have the scout team put in things that the opponent would do. And Coach K really wants Justin to stick around after graduation, after he, he's already graduated, his graduation from grad school. And he wants to see if Justin wants to get into coaching. I think that'd be a great role for this kid. We don't get to talk about him enough. I, I think he's the best, you know, scrub walk-on that Duke's had maybe ever. And, and I'd love to see this kid stick around and be a part of the program for the long term. He has a future wherever he goes. It, it, I hope it's in Durham, but he has a future wherever he goes. And if whatever he's going to get into, whether it's coaching or el- something else, he's going to excel in it. And, and it's it's he's one of the fun guys because it's not that we're you know cheering because he's in the game and it's you know late. We're cheering because we genuinely love this kid. He he's a friend of the podcast and and really you know the sky's the limit for him. So that's our final word on the Virginia Tech game. We will take a quick break and come back to preview the Wake Forest game this week. So as we said, Duke is heading down the road to Winston-Salem to play Wake Forest Tuesday night. Uh, The Demon Deacons... Uh, Duke have seen them already once this year. Wake is not having Wake's not having a great season. Let's let's be honest about that. They're four and twelve in conference. They're eleven and fifteen overall. Danny Manning. Hang on, just, hang on. They they beat the pants off of North Carolina. They're having a great season. So we're we're proud of them for that. But <laughs> other than other than one, is it even surprising at this point? I mean, a Wake UNC game these days is like watching my high school play. Carolina, your high school is better. I, I I don't know about that, but I, wait, I have Manning to say is basically... it. Wait, I have to say it. Hold on. Carolina has lost seven games in a row. Every single game since Cole Anthony returned, they have lost. Hmm. I wonder. Well, I guess if he's going to be a high draft pick, then he's just preparing to play on a bad team next season. You know, this is this is just good training for where he's probably going to end up. Although I, he's not going to be that high a draft pick. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I can't admit that I looked at the projection recently, so I don't know exactly where Cole Anthony is ending up. However, Wake Forest is ahead of us. We will talk plenty about Carolina next week before we play them again. But Danny Manning is pretty much on borrowed time at this point. Wake is just letting the, the season run out probably before they get rid of him, if they can afford it. As I mentioned, Duke already played Wake Forest a couple months ago in Cameron. It was 90-59. to 59. It was It was not not a competitive game pretty much in any way. So Donald, I'll give it to you first that you want to say about Duke playing at Winston-Salem on Tuesday night. I know that we've already in the last couple of weeks had one uh, opportunity to talk about a not so great opponent that Duke was playing on the road. And then Duke got thoroughly smashed by NC state. I don't think that Wake Forest is NC state. Are they? No, they're not. But 
I think in the beginning of this game, we need to come out with that in- intensity. Uh, Wake, you know, again, it's another team that loves to beat us on the road. It's happened before in the past. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to be much more prepared than we were when we went to Raleigh last week. Last time we played Wake Forest, we were really good in three areas. We were good at getting the ball on turnovers. We were good at rebounding, and we were really good at shooting the ball, uh, both inside and outside. Outside, we shot 47% that game, and we shot 53% as a team from the floor the entire game. Those things would be great on Tuesday night. And when it comes to Wake Forest, they're going to allow you to shoot threes because they just can't defend it. And if we can hit our threes, then we're going to have a very easy ball game. If we stop missing threes and we start missing shots and we don't take care of the ball, then that's where the opportunity for upset arises. And I think when we're on the road, those things tend to sprout up a little you know, quicker uh, than it normally does at home. So I'm hoping these guys can start off, first of all, with a lot of intensity. Wake Forest is going to come correct, and we need to neutralize that immediately. But really, when it comes to it, moving the ball around like we did against Virginia Tech is going to be the key to this game. Moving the ball around, getting good shots, and on defense, going for those steals. You know, Wake Forest doesn't take care of the basketball at all, and there's going to be some opportunities for us to steal the ball or block, you know, block shots, make them force bad shots, and go in transition and get easy buckets that way. That's how we beat them last time, and that's how we beat them on Tuesday night. All right, Jason, anything to add about Way Forest before we uh, move on and, and prepare to watch what will hopefully be a, another big win for Duke? So uh, the biggest thing when you're a team that's trying to beat Duke, uh, un- unless – well, I can't even think. I- I'm, not, I'm not sure there are any teams that could beat Duke by pounding the ball on the inside, I guess – you know, maybe Kansas sort of tried that. There are a couple teams that can try that kind of thing. Wake Forest is not going to beat Duke on the inside. Your hope of beating Duke is doing what NC State did, which is bombing away from three. And Duke has been exceptionally good at both not allowing three pointers. We're one of the uh, we're one of the twenty best teams in the country at at opposing teams. T- actually, we're one of the ten best teams in the country at opposing teams' three point rate. Like teams don't shoot a lot of threes against us because we don't give up a lot of threes, and teams don't hit a lot of threes against us. We're one of the top twenty teams in the country at opponents' three point field goal percentage. And in the first game, Wake Forest didn't get to attempt a lot of threes. They only took thirteen of them, and they didn't hit a lot of threes. They only hit four of them. Um, for Wake to have a chance in this game, they're going to have to probably going to have to take around 20 threes and they'll probably have to hit about half of them. Um, uh, it's hard to see a way that Wake really beats Duke unless they get hot from the outside because I just don't think Wake has the inside horses to to be able to, to contain uh, Duke's big men. Um, it, it's a very difficult game to sort of put together ways that Wake Forest wins unless... Duke did what it did against NC State and just comes out with zero energy, and uh, you know we aren't you know we aren't even really trying. Um, we're simply too good on defense for a team like Wake Forest to score a lot on us. So presuming we're not, you know, presuming we don't have one of these games where we're over or one for you know fifteen or so on our three pointers, um, we we should take care of Wake Forest fairly comfortably. I, I you know I keep on looking at their roster. And I'm having trouble coming up with ways that that they beat Duke. It, it, uh, they're they're not NC hopefully State. This, hopefully, this Duke team is feeling a little motivated after 
that good bounce back game against Virginia Tech. And then coming up on Monday night, we mentioned this on the last show, but Louisville and Florida State face off in a game between the two other teams that are tied in the loss column for first place in the ACC. Hopefully Duke is motivated a little bit by whatever happens in that game to say we need to either catch up, we need to, we need to keep pace with Louisville, or we need to maintain the lead if, uh, if Florida State wins the game. So Duke is looking ahead at hopefully its first regular season title in a number of years, and that should potentially propel them to victory over Wake Forest. I do want to move on from them, though, and get to our player of the week and parting shots. So I will start with Jason. Jason, give me your player of the week. It was a weird one because Duke had one big loss and one big win. So I'm going to go with Vernon Carey for my player of the week this week. Uh, look, it's it's t- that NC State game was just a terrible effort on the part of so many different players. But if there was one guy who brought it, it was Vernon Carey. He had 27 points. He had 12 rebounds. He had three block shots. And then we talked about it earlier. I thought he was uh, – th- that was as good um, a game as as he can have passing the ball, in my opinion. Um, for a guy to get zero assists as well as he passed the ball is kind of crazy. But I thought Vernon Carey was excellent against Virginia Tech. He set the tone for the game with, um, you know, Virginia Tech knew they had to double him. And uh, and I thought that sort of uh, the fact that he was able to handle that and force the Virginia Tech defense to scramble was the thing that led to Duke getting those open three pointers. So I'm going with Vernon Carey as my player of the week. All right, Donald, who do you have for this week? I'm also going with Vernon Carey. He as Jason said, was the the best player in both games for us. And uh, again, you know, he he can do it all. And he showed that even in the loss, I thought he really came to play one of the few guys who did. And against Virginia Tech, he was masterful in being able to move the ball around and getting everybody else involved while still getting his points and his rebounds. So I'm going with Vernon Carey. And I will make it three for three. Like you guys mentioned, one of the few bright spots in the game against NC State was Vernon Carey being somewhat efficient on or more efficient on offense than the rest of his teammates. And then his performance against Virginia Tech was really great. And we should say, uh, I think special recognition to Cassius Stanley for shooting the ball so well against Virginia Tech. If that's a, a skill that he's going to continue to display, that is going to be huge for him and for Duke down the stretch. We will finish, as always, with our parting shots. Donald, I'll come to you first because you've got, I think, the most fun Duke athletics news uh, to share with the people. Yeah, already early in the college baseball season, and Duke has made the history books. And the man who made that history, his name is Bryce Jarvis. Against Cornell the other night, an 8 nothing victory. His box score, nine innings pitched, 15 strikeouts, 27 up, 27 down. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the first perfect game in Duke baseball history and only the 31st in the history of college baseball, which spans back 115 years or something like that. Bryce Jarvis, a perfect game against Cornell. You have to give him props. Uh, Congratulations to him and the Duke baseball team, because I will say, you know, if you play baseball, you know this. No hitter is a pitcher's score. A perfect game is a team event. Uh, That means everybody was on their job. Bryce Hart, Bryce Jarvis was doing his thing, but also it meant that somebody in the field had to make plays as well. So congratulations to Bryce Jarvis and the entire Duke baseball team for a monumental achievement, the first perfect game in the school's history. 
All right, Jason, I will come to you next. Give me your parting shot for this Sunday morning. So if you have not paid attention to um, anything but Duke basketball, you would not know that yesterday, Saturday, Gonzaga, Baylor, and San Diego State all lost on the very same day. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, we mentioned earlier in the week when Duke lost to NC State that the top sort of seven teams in the country were on some kind of crazy like 170-game win streak. No one was losing. The teams at the very top were all just kept on winning. And then Duke lost to NC State, and you went like, oh, oh no, we're the only one. Well, suddenly everybody's losing again. <laughs> now, Baylor uh, Baylor lost to Kansas, and there's no shame in that, even though the game was was at Baylor. It's a home game. You'd never like to lose a home game. But uh, you know, in terms of looking at who are going to get the number one seeds, Kansas is clearly, clearly staying on the number one line. I think Baylor stays in the number one line as well. Uh, one loss is not a big deal for a team that has – won as many games as they have, as many impressive games as they have. So the questions become Gonzaga and San Diego State because those two teams have not played the schedule that everybody else has. Um, I think Gonzaga probably, if the tournament was today, I think Gonzaga is staying on the number one seed line, but their position is a lot more tenuous. Um, and their strength of schedule is really poor, like really poor, like worse than San Diego State. People talk about San Diego State hasn't played anybody. Gonzaga's played some good teams, but they've also played a ton of terrible teams. So I think Gonzaga stays on the one line. I think San Diego State probably has dropped down to the number two line at this point. Um, and I think the team that moves up is probably Dayton. Um, I wish it could be Duke, but that loss to NC State, not good. I think right now Dayton probably has the fourth number one seed. Um, they, they actually have four quadrant one wins, which is the same as Duke. But I'm going to tell you something interesting about Dayton. I think there's a fairly decent chance right now that that if the tournament were today, Dayton would be number one in the East and Duke would be the number two in the East. I don't think we would ever face Dayton, though. And I'm going to tell you why. If you look at their schedule, Dayton only played two games against teams ranked in the top 30 in, in the advanced metrics in the net. Those two games were a loss to Kansas. It was in overtime, but it was still a loss, and a loss to Colorado. So... Dayton's best wins are like road wins against like Richmond and Virginia Commonwealth and St. Louis. They, they don't really, they don't really have any wins against top 30 teams. They don't have any wins against a team that you go, that's a team that they're going to face in the sweet 16 or the final eight. So while I think Dayton's probably a number one seed at this point, I'll gladly take them as our number one seed because I'm not sure they can beat the very best of the best. The other team to look out for, the other team that I think is competing with Duke and Dayton for the last number one seed right now is Maryland. Get this. Maryland has already played 10 quadrant one games. These are, you know, the NCAA breaks the games down by, you know, the quality of your opponent and where you play it and stuff like that. Maryland's already got 10 quadrant one games, which is Duke only has seven, I think. Um, Maryland, every single game left on their that's schedule. A, that's a result of the, of the relative strengths of the ACC in the Big Ten. It's exactly. The ACC is terrible this year. The Big Ten is great this year, but it's still the reality. And Maryland only has five games less in their season. Every single one of the games they have left is a quadrant one game. If Maryland wins out, I'm not saying they will, but if you look at their schedule, their toughest games are home games and their road games, which are still quadrant one games, are, are very winnable. If Maryland wins out, they're getting a one seed, period, end of story. No question about it. So and they would get I, the East. Yes. That's and that's what we're trying to do because that's in the that's at the garden in New York City. 
Yeah, and and I was about to say, I, well, I think that if it, the tournament was today, Duke would be number two to Dayton in the East. I think there's a really good chance, even if Maryland drops one more game, I think there's a good chance Maryland's one in the East and Duke is number two in the East. Sam, as you like to say, get ready for storylines. Duke and Maryland, top two seeds in a region. If I it is one of the few, Sunday, that's what I think is going to happen on Selection Sunday. It is one of the few things that I really genuinely don't want to see in the bracket is Duke face. I don't ever want to play Maryland ever again. I, I think they have earned the right to never see Duke again on the basketball court. I agree. So I and Coach K never wants to play them again either. Coach, Coach K, K hates Maryland for leaving the ACC. Yeah. I'll, I'll tack my parting shot onto yours, which is just further analysis of, of all this stuff. I think what's so interesting about the discussion of the final number one seeds is that you could make a case that both Gonzaga and San Diego State don't mind if one of them ends up on the two line because they get to both stay out west. Gonzaga, the the West regional. They play each other, yeah. This year. So it's a, it's, I mean, it's a long trip for Gonzaga. They got a, it's probably like a three or four hour flight all the way there, but perhaps they have more fans out in the West than, than they would at the other regionals. I don't know how many Gonzaga fans there are in Indianapolis or, or New York, but um, for San Diego state, it's just a drive up the street. They don't even have to get on a plane to, to get to Los Angeles, to go to the game. So something tells me that San Diego state wouldn't mind ending up on the two line, even though they got that loss. And then looking at the East Regional, what's interesting is if Dayton if Dayton does end up being that last number one seed, if for whatever reason both Duke and Maryland suffer a couple losses or the NCAA just feels that, that Dayton has earned it, then, uh, then there's jockeying for Duke and Maryland to get that number two spot because that will be a much more coveted location than going to Indianapolis uh, as, the, as sort of the Midwest number two um, or even to the South. So um, keep an eye on that. I, I think Dayton is interesting because while they, sure, they lost to Kansas, but they, they took them to overtime, which says that they're only, you know, if, if we're comparing apples Back to in apples. Early, early November. I mean, it was a long sure. time ago. Duke, Duke beat Kansas only by a couple of points. So given, given Dayton, I mean, Dayton's going to inevitably play a worse schedule than Duke is. But um, so, so to what extent they have anything to work with, they've, they've done, done reasonably well this year. So I'm, don't have to be in the room, so I'm glad that I I don't have to kind of weigh those back and forth. Donald, do you want to finish on the topic of the of the jockey top of uh, of the NCAA this year, and then we'll wrap up? Yeah. So uh, just quickly on, on Baylor and Kansas, they had mentioned yesterday during the broadcast that the only loss between the top four teams in 2020 was Kansas losing to Baylor. Uh, back in like you know early January, and other everything else has been they've been going undefeated, uh, to that point, and that's why yesterday was kind of so significant. Baylor and Kansas Wells, a terrific game. I think both teams are going to be on the one line, I think there's no debate about that. But when it comes to Dayton, or uh, yeah, Dayton, San Diego State, ourselves, and Maryland, I think here's the easy way for us to get on that one line, or at least to make that strong case. We have to win the ACC. If we don't win the ACC, we don't have to worry about the one seed because it's not going to happen. We can't Maryland, lose again. We can't we lose can't, again. For, yeah. I forget losing. If we, are, if we are not, if it doesn't say ACC champion next to our name, it won't matter because they are viewing, especially if Maryland wins the Big Ten. If Maryland wins the Big Ten, they've rated the Big Ten so highly this year that a Big Ten championship is going to outweigh. This is not a year where Duke can just kind of back in even after losing 
in the ACC tournament. They even have to Maryland, even if Maryland, if Maryland only captures either the regular season or the Big Ten championship, it speaks mm-hmm. volumes about them, given that they've looked the strongest sort of down the stretch of any of those Big Ten teams. Yeah, and when it comes to it, it, it's it's funny. Like two weeks ago, there really wasn't an argument about who was going to be in the East because it was kind of you know with the four. Uh, number one seeds, we were like, yeah, cool. We'll we'll probably be a two seed in the East and we'll go against San Diego State and we'll probably beat them. But now everyone has gotten a lot better. I mean, you, I, even we've gotten a lot better despite the loss on Wednesday night to NC State. We're still a better team than we were 30 days ago. And now there's some jockeying for that particular region. It's going to be interesting to see what the next couple of weeks bring us because we have a good game. We have a couple of good games coming up where, you know, they can use that as statement wins. We're going to go to Virginia and then we'll have the ACC tournament. Now, who is going to be that team that stands tall at the end? And really will it matter? Because if they put all, you know, two of these teams in the East or three of these teams in the East, then the East is going to be probably that region that no one wants to be in. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks of college basketball. I don't think you're going to see three of these teams in the East. The, the real question is going to be, which are the, among Duke, Dayton, and Maryland, which two of them end up in the East and which one of them gets sent to the South, which means- Or the Midwest. Probably, well, I think it's probably the South with Baylor as your number one. Um, I think it's very, at this point, I think it's really likely Gonzaga is the one in the West. Kansas is the one in the Midwest. Baylor is the one in the South. And I, I really think there's a strong chance that the, the third best of the Duke, Dayton, Maryland trio- is the number two in the South to Baylor. I don't want that. I want no part of Baylor. I've seen them play a couple times this year. Uh-uh. Please. Get, They're really me, good. Get, give me Dayton or someone else instead. Please. Well, perhaps this will... If Duke does have to go to Houston, then we can get some of the Justice Winslow magic from back in 2015 when Duke had to go through Houston to get to the Final Four to win its fifth and most recent national championship we can just hope that that perhaps that'll be the the path to victory for the Blue Devils if they can't make it to New York. So I think that will do it for this episode of the DBR podcast. Like we said at the top, we have a very special episode coming uh, in the next couple of days with an interview with a Duke person that I think you're all going to really enjoy. Later in the week, we will react to the Wake Forest game and whatever happens against Louisville and Florida State. And we'll preview Virginia. Big preview and, of Virginia and, coming say, up. Yeah. and then, and then we will also preview the game in Charlottesville this coming weekend against the reigning national champions. If you don't remember, <laughs> Virginia won the national championship last year despite their struggles this year. So all of that is coming this week. Lots of good content for you, but we will sign off from there. Don't forget that if you want to get in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever wherever you find podcasts, and even on our uh, newest site on Megaphone, which is the SB Nation spot for all of their podcast network content. You can find it all at Megaphone. So for Donald Wine in Washington, D.C., for Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Sam Klein coming to you from cold post-primary New Hampshire. We will talk to you again very soon this week. This has been Duke Basketball Report Podcast, episode 193, Duke Band. Take us home.